Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is part two of uh, our talk on post-processing workflow interpretation. And uh, let me just pick up here with some concept that we've spoken about before is the role of volume imaging. And I think we've spoken about this, that there's so much data within many data sets, not just in medicine, whether it's seismic data, or geographic data, or medical data, particularly CT data, that unless you use post-processing techniques, you're not going to really recognize a lot of the information. And I always like to show this example, point to these two little structures, and then say, what are they? And you have a hard time figuring what those little dots are. When you do the 3D reconstructions, you recognize that that's the patient's left adrenal vein, a critical marker in laparoscopic surgery. And it's a one to two millimeter structure that you never recognize in the axial plane, but in the 3D map, it's obvious. So it becomes very clear that things in 3D are easier seen. And it's not just seeing, it's understanding. So I often show a case like this. Look at the patient's arm. There's a shunt that's occluded. Try to understand where all the subcutaneous vessels are. But in a 3D map, it's very easy to do that, whether you're at superficial or you're looking at deeper vessels. It's just so much easier to do that process. And you can see it as well in this case, looking at the patient's hand, you can see cellulitis, there's induration and edema present, you can see the vessel relationships. Again, we can look at hundreds or thousands of slices, or we put a 3D map together and look at all that soft tissue swelling in the dorsum of the hand, by the fourth and fifth digits. And uh, again, just very easy to um, see that process. And again, we could change the renderings from soft tissue to optimized vessel. All of those concepts of interactive rendering are nicely shown by this sort of example. Now, in terms of 3D imaging, we speak about the difference between volume rendering and MIP. Uh, I won't go through that in detail. We have other lectures in this series about that except to make the point that when you're using and doing processing yourself, so if you look at this case with collaterals and a tail of the pancreas mass, which is an islet cell tumor, you recognize that the volume rendering is ideal for showing the mass and collaterals, and the MIP gives you a global perspective of all the collaterals. Or when you look at this hepatic mass with neovascularity, the ability to go from this large mass, which shows a necrotic tumor, to looking at the neovascularity in the 3D image is indeed as optimal. Or if you go to a case like this where you're looking at a patient with Crohn's disease, the 3D mapping showing you the increased vascularity, showing you the disease bowel, showing you active disease is so much better shown within three dimensions. Or in a case like this, renal cell carcinoma, hypervascular lesion growing into the renal vein, into the IVC, up into the heart, nicely shown there into the right atrium, and again, this intraatrial mass. So again, doing things interactively increases your speed, increases your accuracy, and for the referring physician, a few images are far better than a few thousand images. I showed you the lighting model. You only can do lighting when you're doing it yourself. There's an ulceration in the skin, and you can see as I rotate through the images, the various appearances, how I can accentuate the edema, the ulceration, the increased vascularity, all of this really nicely shown. And again, the power of interactive imaging is shown in this example. Same thing in coronary imaging. We speak about looking at each of the vessels individually. 
We also speak about the different software packages that are available for being able to look at it. And one of the things, of course, is the software packages. We need to look at all of the images, looking at things in a sequential fashion. We need to look at things from an axial display to 3D mapping. And there's a workflow that allows you to do this. So you'll look at this patient's right coronary in an axial plane. You'll look at some of the details. You'll then put it into a 3D map to see it in the AV groove and see it's feeding the posterior coronary artery and then segmenting out the vessels and using curved planar reconstruction tools or any of the various software tools you may have on your workstation to allow you to truly analyze. So again, what I look at are tools that allow me to be more productive. We see the development of tools for specific applications. We're seeing cardiac specific tools. So here you can see LAD stenosis, calcified and non-calcified plaque, just very nice visualization. Tools are being developed so that you don't have to eyeball it, but the computer will automatically segment out the vessel and then calculate the degree of stenosis. So tools, I think, are indeed very important. Uh, Post-processing tools really enhance our capabilities, and you need to know how to use them. Again, we don't want tools that just create more images or are unhelpful. Post-processing tools, they need to solve a problem make a solution to a task easier, faster, and more accurate, or provide additional information that was not provided by prior solutions. And we see many of these tools that are being developed in 2007. New ones will be developed in 2008. We talk about things that we've always done like bone removal. And you know, there's no doubt for many applications, we want to segment out the data set. And we've always done bone removal. We've done it interactively. We've drawn lines around the bone. We've spent hours doing editing. But we don't want to spend hours doing editing. We want to do it automatically or have the computer do it automatically. There's a technique called the interactive watershed transform and I don't want to go into this in detail but it's a technique that allows one to basically have the editing done automatically and here's an article from Dave Heath and Pam Johnson and Han on the subject uh, about the ability for this technique to literally in a few seconds selectively remove bones from uh, uh, large data sets to be, to be able to segment out data sets and I've shown you the fact that this technique pulls the bones out finds them as blue here I left a few ribs behind we can override that but you can see the detail and the capability of what it can do so again becomes very very critical in terms of our ability to use data sets uh, and here's just a simple example of a large pelvic AVM, which you can see as we take away the bone. Again, the bone is good at times for localization, but in terms of looking at the detail of the vessels becomes problematic. So again, uh, we always know the user will have to be involved. The technique we showed, this uh, IWT technique, at times makes mistakes. Here's kind of a gross mistake, missed the sacrum, and you can see what happens when you do the 3D rendering. But it's important to recognize, of course, that you need to always look at the data set. And you recognize it's particularly problematic on the MIP side of things. But then you go and you then uh, will help the computer so that you get the correct information. So again, there's no technique that's ever going to be perfect. But we want to make sure that techniques are indeed optimized. We talk about techniques for looking at the evaluation of stents. 
In many cases, classic uh, VRT and MIP will answer all the questions regarding a stent placement, such as vessel stenosis, but in other cases, we need more information. And so information might be, can a stent be used? What kind of stent can be used? Location and size of stents, for example. And maybe what's the best approach for a stent? So here's just a nice example of a large abdominal aortic aneurysm. But how large is the aneurysm? Well, in those situations, you want to be able to do a center line. So we can do very specific measurements of the length of the stent. A very ectatic vessel, you can get the wrong measurements. Center line systems are something that becomes standard on many, many of the workstations now to allow us to get very accurate measurements of width and lengths. We also use the center line when we want to uh, be able to evaluate patency of stents that have been placed already. And here's a couple examples. Patient has an endovascular stent in place and is the stent still patent? You can do very nice 3D images and yes, you can remove the bone. But when all is said and done, you're still not looking inside the stent. When you want to look inside the stent, we use a curved planar reconstruction, which you can see on the right. And now we can see that the patient's iliac stent is patent. We have very nice visualization. We can quantify its volume, its diameter. You can see the same thing in this case of a patient with a coarctation with repair. You can see very nicely in 3D the stent, which seems to be in good location but it's with the additional tools going through the center of the stent that we're able to look at the lumen, see the lumen is not narrowed, that it's good positioning of the stent. Or in this patient with an axillary femoral stent, you can see very nicely, we pull the stent out, and now the center line travels through the stent, and the stent is indeed patent. And this lecture was focusing on vascular imaging, but let me just extend it a bit and talk about other post-processing tools, virtual imaging, whether it's colonoscopy, a bronchoscopy, a gastroscopy, or cystoscopy. We all are familiar with flying through the colon, and we're familiar with some of the data being published now about how good virtual colonoscopy is, the importance of 3D imaging, the importance of endoluminal imaging. And when you read these articles, the one thing you recognize is the importance of post-processing. And it's not just the colon. Here's an article from Karen Horton on looking at endobronchial images. The same software, we look at this case, look at the level of the right vocal cord, and here it is with an endoluminal view showing the paralysis. Just very nice visualization of the cord, uh, endoscopic views. What else? We're seeing a lot more CAD coming along. Is it a second reader? Will it help with lesion detection? Lots of good articles. What about quantification? What about volumes? So yes, we see multiple nodules here, but what we can do with the computer now, and here's a, something called the OncoCare package, where you're looking at calculating the volumes of the lesion, whether it's RESID criteria or WHO criteria or volume criteria, and then looking at lesions, in this case metastatic disease to the liver, and trying to determine whether or not the lesion is growing over time. Having the computer look at two time points and calculate the actual volumes and calculate growth or regression. Again, quantification is becoming important tools in what we do. Whether it's 4D imaging, I've spoken on the cardiac with 4D, looking at the aortic valves open or closed. Here it is closed and here it is open but not just static images, looking at the motion images. So nice example of a normal aortic valve, and uh, I'll simply change the rendering. 
or in this case of a bicuspid valve with calcification, and here's a nice example of motion in 4D of the bicuspid valve, or in this patient with evidence of aortic valve replacement, uh, closed and open, and again, being able to look at the motion of the valve, or finally in this patient who has a pseudoaneurysm at a resection site of aortic graft, has a new dissection as well, but look at nicely in color or grayscale at that pseudoaneurysm. So what I'm showing you is post-processing. I'm showing you workflow. If you want to do CTA successfully in practice, it's a comprehensive package from data acquisition, patient preparation, to reconstruction. You have to deliver the contrast at the right time, at the right place. Scan acquisition protocols need to be optimized. Every step needs to be optimized. The workflow patterns you develop need to take into account your strengths and your weaknesses. Again, as Yogi Berra said, theory is one thing and practice is another. But I am telling you, if you work hard, if you make the necessary changes and have done correctly, CTA will become a major component of your practice and be a bright cornerstone of your imaging program. But again, it is how you do the process. And hopefully, this lecture will give you some helpful hints. And with that, part two is also the last part. And with that, have a nice day.